Welcome to the Gospel for Life. We have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but rather it's for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. I'm Josh Bales, pastor of the Well Church, here with Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Phil Moran, pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church, and Jonathan Van Hoogen, pastor at Spring United Reformed Church. Now, if you'd like to find out more about us or catch past broadcasts or get information about our annual conference, you can find us at ReformationVoice.com. All right, welcome to 2021. <laughs> All right, uh, we are going through the State of Theology, a survey that Ligonier Ministries recently um, published. They have published one every two years. If you go to the thestateoftheology.com, you can find all 35 of their statements. Um, and it's a really helpful tool. This year they made it available where you could, of course, take the survey yourself or you can create a group survey either for your family or for your church. So I would encourage you to um, check it out. Um, some of the questions on here are are quite surprising in in terms of how not only the general population has answered, but also evangelicals. Yesterday, we looked at the question whether or not uh, God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam, and 42% of evangelicals said yes. And I think that your statement off the air, Phil, was really good. Aren't there times when God doesn't accept our worship as Christians? Yeah, a- absolutely. There's, there, there's circumstances under which God, God will not accept my worship if I come with a wrong heart. If I, uh, I've got an unresolved conflict with a Christian brother or sister, remember that G- Jesus said, if you come to the altar to bring your gift and there remember that your brother has something against you, Jesus said, stop right there, leave your gift, go be reconciled with your brother, your mm-hmm. sister, then come offer your gift to God. And his direct implication there is, is, You've got unfinished business, and God is not going to accept your worship if if you have an, an unresolved conflict with a brother or sister. And also mentioned off the air was just there are strong, helpful Christian people that have just gotten this wrong. Um, C.S. Lewis was one of those. He's written mm-hmm. some wonderful, helpful, insightful things. But on this particular issue, I mean, he in one of in the last book of of. His Narnia Chronicles, um, The Last Battle, took the position that all worship is acceptable by God, um, even that, I mean, the implication in the book was that of Islam, um, was acceptable to, to God. Well, that's just wrong. And so here is a great thinker, uh, much smarter than I'll ever be, who on this particular issue just got, got it biblically incorrect. Yeah. Um, and so it's just a reminder to be careful about just following the teachings of an individual Mm-hmm. continue to go back to God's Word and make sure that, that they're aligned with what, what God's words t- teach. Yeah. Ma- ma- maybe one thing real quick, too. Um, one of the, the, the things that modern liberals do, and they have done for the past century at least, is they divided up the living Word from the written Word. Well, I'll just follow Jesus, and Jesus is, is loving and inclusive and all these things, and they, they pit Jesus against the Scripture. You can't do that. Jesus doesn't allow himself to be pit against the Scripture. Right. And so what Russ said is really important is that we need to get our um, theology from the Scripture, not from what our image of what we think Jesus would do in any given situation. Jesus, what Jesus would do is in Scripture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. 
Okay, so we are on to statement number four today. Uh, and of course, the respondents can choose true or false or agree or disagree on any of these statements. So here's statement number four. It is God created male and female. And uh, evangelicals did really well here. Um, 99% strongly agree with that, and 1% said they somewhat agree. But that's a that's probably the, the strongest statistic in this whole well, survey. Yeah. And in some ways, uh, you know, outside of evangelicalism, you'll find the same almost weighted response in terms of, you know, a tremendous number of people are going to agree with that because there's empirical evidence about those things. You know, there's there's the DNA. I mean, you can't get beyond DNA. There's a biology. You can't get beyond that. There's physiological things. You can't get beyond that. And so people who even have a natural theology, you know, the, the general revelation would point to that as well as the Scripture does. But as we observed, uh, sometimes we're being driven by—the the bus is being driven by that small minority, and particularly— in film, in education, in, uh, you know, even politics. politics. You know, it's, it's truly the tail wagging the dog. It, it is the smallest part directing the affairs of, of a nation. You know, the, the benefit for us as believers is we can actually have our finger in the text and say, no, let's go back to Genesis. In the beginning, God created them, male and female, he created them. That's what it says. And, uh, you know, so we have that we have that benefit of, of an authority uh, that is the ultimate authority. What's fascinating is that on this question of, you know, did God create people male and female, 100% of evangelicals either agree or strongly agree. 79% of the general population agrees or strongly agrees. But you would think then that that would carry over into a later question in the survey where, that asks, Gender identity is a matter of choice. Well, true if, or false? True or false. So if God creates everybody male and female, and a hundred percent of evangelicals say that's correct, you would think then gender identity is a matter of choice would be a slam dunk that they would be consistent in their answer. However, you have twenty-one percent of evangelicals who have already answered that God had created people male and female are now saying that gender identity is a matter of choice. Mm -hmm. And so the only thing that I think logically you can conclude is that they're saying God assigned whether somebody's male or female, but we have the ability to override God's choice. And now we can say, well, despite the fact that he made me male or female, I can choose my gender, which I know there's all these gender doesn't equal your sex and all of that conversation, and I'm sure that goes into how people are answering here. Um, but it does at least feel as if there's an inconsistency in logic going on. Yeah, here. yeah. Well, I think much of what's being reflected in, in that, that that you're talking about, Russ, uh, there is a, a deeply, deeply embedded belief in contemporary culture uh, about, uh, it's actually a deeply embedded set of beliefs in our culture about the complete autonomy of the individual and that the, uh, that the individual has the right to define themselves. The individual had almost an obligation to define yourself, uh, but, but that you 
our culture, or many in our culture anyway, believe and teach that you determine, only you determine who you are and what you are, and no authority outside of you can impose an identity on you. And that's where this whole idea of gender fluidity comes from, or at least the praise of that idea and the affirmation of that idea uh, flows out of some some deeper stuff. There's a new book actually been written. It's called The Rise of the Modern Stealth uh, by Carl Truman. And And he really gets behind these things. We're no longer dealing with, you know, certain objective facts. You know, it's it's the feelings that that and he and he shows how this is kind of come into our culture, you know, these are the things that define us. I mean, we're talking about gender fluidity here, but, you know, there's there's a certain national nationality fluidity right now. I mean, you know, the, there's a lady by the name of Hilaria Baldwin, um, actually not Spanish at all, uh, who's, you know, she's, she's claimed for years that she was born in another country where, where she wasn't born. And, you know, we saw this a few years ago with somebody else. So you can be whatever you want to be. Yes. It doesn't, you know, <laughs> the, the facts don't matter anymore. Right, right. Yeah. Thing is, though, I mean, even in that example, I mean, if the culture is going to be consistent, they should have no problem. I mean, because they called no. her out. They called her out on it, essentially. Yeah, and um, the culture should have no problem with saying, okay, if you want to create yourself in your own image, then you're, yeah. you're welcome to do that. I mean, they do it in all these other different ways. Yeah, if you can't yeah. be yourself, be someone else. <laughs> you know, I, I do, I do want to say, you know, if, if somebody, uh, if a young person is struggling with, I mean, you know, the term that's often used is gender dysphoria or gender, gender confusion, that person needs to be approached with compassion and with a, at least an attempt at, a, at understanding. As we've been saying here, sex is a created thing, and, and God created them male and female. And sometimes, you know, that, sometimes that's going to be a struggle in a young person's life. Most people are going to push through that, and they're going to, you know, they're, <laughs> they're going to be just fine. But we live in a culture right now where you are encouraged to embrace an identity that has to bubble up out of you. Young people are almost encouraged in this direction. I, I saw a statistic just the other day. This statistic was just about young women in, in the USA that 25%, no, 30% of young women under the age of 25, 30% of young women under the age of 25 in America today identify as LGBT. In women over 60, it's only 5%. So that tells us something. There's an epidemic going on in our, in our culture of identity confusion and almost encouraging young people to adopt an identity that may not be a part of them at all. Some of what's behind all of, of some of this discussion is that in the broad church, we have this idea that we submit to those things that we agree with. And if we don't agree with it, then we don't have to do it. Well, that's actually not submission at all. Submission is when we yield our spirit and our will to something that we disagree with. That's mm-hmm. actually submission. Yes. And in broad Christendom, what we really have is so few people submitting to the authority of the church, the authority of God's word. Mm-hmm. So why do we think it's different 
when you have people that have some of this struggle with gender identity, the reality is is that it's a sin like other sins in the Bible, and eventually what has to happen is you have to bend your will to, to God's word. Mm-hmm. And and all of a sudden we live in a in a not just a culture, I'm saying in a church that no longer is calling people to bend their will to, to God's word. Mm-hmm. And so whether it's gender identity, whether it's other sins that are going on in our lives, it's a hard process. We, it's, what the Bible says is we're dying to ourselves. Yeah. And that's never easy. Mm-hmm. And when we stop calling people to die to themselves, that's when we get some of the confusion and the difficulty that our young people are having because they yeah. see in us as adults that we're not willing to die to right. our own sins. And so it's fun to pick on the gender identity issue, but let's be honest, this is, a, this is an issue across the board, not just in this area, but in all areas. Mm-hmm. You've been listening to Gospel for Life. We'll see you next time. 